Well, good morning, Solace Church. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. You noticed my attire, I guess, this morning. That's great. Hey, we're talking about what life looked like in the 90s, and we're talking specifically today to the 30s, and uh, the 30s, an interesting period of time. We're going we're gonna to unpack that in some depth this morning. But think back for a moment. We've already taken you back in time. You, you know the song by Kenny Chesney, maybe, uh, and it's the song that talks about how when you hear a song or you see something, it takes you back to another place and another time. That's okay to do that for sure. It connects you with your history so that you can understand yourself better. And so we've done that a little bit today, and we'll continue to do that through this series. But uh, the 30s, you know, 30 year olds, 30 somethings grew up. Uh, in their teens, primarily in the 90s. That was the case for me. I was born in 1978. And so those teen years were the 90s. And the, the, the church was going through an interesting period of time in the 90s. It had come out of the idea that, you know, hymns were the exclusive songs to sing in church into this period of awkward songs. Um, and 40s, next week, it's all for you and it is awkward. Weird period of transition of the 30s. You know, we got to experience some of the songs we, we sang today, but it was this coming out of the hymn only into this period of time where is the church going to embrace hymn only or a blend or all in for contemporary? And so you went through that period of time. I did too. We sang songs growing up that were really awkward. I'll just, you know, just knock on my generation as well. We sang songs, and a lot of them had hand motions and arm motions with them, and it was just weird. I, I just want to forget most of that. It just, it just didn't connect at all. So that was some of the form, formative years uh, that I went through. And I think about those years of, 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 of growing up. I'm 38 today. Uh, 38 right now, not today. It's not my birthday. I'm 38. And I remember some, some pivotal moments, some critical moments that took place in our nation's history as well. You probably know where you were. Um, for instance, uh, you might know where you were when, when Desert Storm was first uh, announced on TV. I remember being in my parents' living room in the floor on the carpet watching the, the, just these, these events unfold on TV. It was a very powerful moment to see our nation at war. I remember also where I was when uh, the, the Murrah uh, bombing took place. I remember being at Berry Hill High School. I believe I was 16. There was some kind of job fair or uh, college fair at the school going on. I remember walking down the hallway, and at one of the booths, uh, a lady had a, a portable like radio device. I don't even know what it looked like now, but she was listening to the events unfold on, on, on the news. I, I remember also where I was when we found out that O.J. Simpson was innocent. Because he is innocent. There's no doubt about that. He definitely is innocent. And we, we, we watched that unfold in our English class. I remember watching. A teacher rolled in a, a, a TV and we watched the events unfold live. And it's very, very emotional to see all that play out on TV. Many, many other events as well. These were, these were the formative years. Of course, we laughed already about baggy clothes. Uh, you know, I think we're going to look back on this this period of time right now and say, what were we thinking about skinny jeans? I think we'll do that. But I think, I think way worse than that, we look back on the 90s and go, really, the clothes? You put them on backwards? They were six sizes too big for you. I mean, come on, man. So we'll look back on that. And then, oh, man, I, I, don't, I don't have any hair right now, but I used to part my hair right here, fold it all the way over. So I, and, this, and I was had this receding hairline, even in high school. Can you imagine? It was like this. It was weird. 
weird. I, I, forever at Berry Hill High School, my senior picture will hang there on the wall, and I'm so embarrassed. But here we are now. We're called Generation X. We're the Generation Xers. There are some millennials who are 30 now, but primarily it's the Xers who are in their 30s and about to graduate into their 40s or maybe just into their 40s. The Xers are an interesting group of people. Uh, We are the smallest in number of several generations. The boomers and millennials are much larger than us. We are the smallest. Uh, The boomers, uh, I guess, felt like that they needed to focus more on career than family, and so they just had less kids, and so two or one was kind of the ratio, and now that's kind of all changed. But the Xers, there's less written about the Xers than any other generation ever studied. Did you know that? We are called the Xers because no one knew what to do with us. We got our name based on the algebraic equation where X is unknown. I went online and I googled being a Christian in your 30s. That's us, Xers. There wasn't a single article, not one. The only articles that came up when you type that in, at least when when I did it on Google, the only articles I found was articles about being single in your 30s. That's the greatest fear online, I guess. Not being a Christian in your 30s, the extras, whatever, but just being single, right? That's really fascinating to see that. So extras, we're the left out generation. But you're entering into your 30s or you're way into your 30s or about to leave your 30s. And, and, and what does it look like to do life here? Now, if you're a teenager here, don't check out. And if you're 20-something, man, I hope you are plugged in. And again, 40s, you're coming. 50s, you're coming. You can just amen today as well for this. But... Um, what does it mean to, to live out the gospel in your 30s? Well, if you're a guest here today and someone invited you because you were in that, that, that decade, that, that period of time, I'm glad that you're here. And of course, if you're watching online at solacechurch.com, glad that you're here as well. Let's talk about what it looks like to do life in your 30s. Um, this was one of the outfits that came along uh, after people found out it was okay that you, to not preach in a suit and tie. Uh, they took the tie off, and then they put jeans on with a coat. That happened, you know, I saw that growing up. And so I thought I would model that for you today. All right. So um, what I thought I would do for just a moment is I thought I would read to you what my life looked like in my 30s. I'm 38, about to graduate in a couple of years. Um, what happened in my 30s? I think maybe you'll relate to some of this. If you're in your 30s, you've gone through it. Um, This was a letter I wrote to myself and to you. Uh, I've entitled it, In My 30s. Pretty appropriate. In my 30s, all three of my children were born. That's right, we waited seven years before we had our first child. My wife said in her early 20s that she never wanted children. Anyone relate to that? Like, there's no way we're having kids. And then, kids. I was honored to be a part of seeing this church grow from just over 200 to almost 1,000 in my 30s. I helped build this church building that you're in right now, and I also GC'd my own house at the same time. Dumb. I almost died. I had a collapsed lung and shaved my head. I went through an identity crisis. I'm still trying to figure out if I need to wear bootcut jeans or slim straight. 
I don't know. I studied myself intently to become a better communicator and leader. Sometime in my 30s, I realized I better get better at this. This is a side note, not in my notes. Let me just give this to you. But I realized I better improve. And so I began to watch myself and listen to myself. That's how I lost the twang in the accent. Because I heard myself and I said, I can't stand to hear myself. And so I'm going to lose that. I also spent some time watching Andy Stanley. If you've ever played golf, you know that you can put yourself up against a professional golf swing and you can check your swing against their swing. I thought if that works for golf, it may work for preaching as well. And so I put Andy Stanley, one of the best communicators in the world today, on the screen. I put myself up to it. I turned the volume off and I watched his mannerisms, the way he moved on the stage, the pace at which he moved, the way he interacted with the crowd. And I began to learn how to do that uh, at a higher level, at least that was my goal. I also then turned the volume on and listened to our voice. And, and, and I listened to the pace at which he spoke and the pitch that he spoke as well. And I learned how to imitate one of the best communicators in the world. Now, whether I do that well or not, I don't know. And ultimately, when you go through the process of evaluation, you lose yourself for a while. I went through that process of studying. For the most part, I've spent my 30s feeling like I have no idea if I'm doing a good job. I'm not sure if I'm the husband I should be, the father I should be, or the pastor I should be. I've learned more in my 30s than in my 20s, and I've seen that connections I made in my 20s and early to mid-30s are now beginning to open new opportunities that I never imagined possible. People have stopped saying, one of these days you're going to be a good preacher. Now one guy says, I'm the Heisman Trophy winner of preaching. I disagree, but thanks for the compliment. I don't think I get enough sleep. I live in a constant state of feeling exhausted. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love my life. I'm not depressed, nor am I discouraged. I just have this feeling of being incredibly busy all the time. Finding time for me, my wife, my kids, my hobbies, my friends, my church, my career, and my Jesus is the greatest scheduling challenge I've ever faced. I still feel like there is so much to do, so much to accomplish, so much to experience, but I don't feel like I have anything to prove. I spent most of my 20s feeling that pressure, but for some reason, it's gone. I'm way more comfortable in my skin, even though I have slightly more of it than I used to. By the way, my body doesn't recover as quickly as it used to. Strange. I'm sore for days. Before my 30s are over, I want to build an orphanage, start the local outreach center we call the Refuge, and maybe even throw in Solace Church University before this decade is over. So this is me in my 30s. So let's study some scripture this morning for the next few minutes. We've had a lot of fun today, and it's good and healthy to laugh and to think backwards. But now let's study ourselves. The 30s, as I said, is an interesting period of time. Remember, in the teens, you develop a worldview. 
then you act a whole lot on emotion. Into your 20s, that, that worldview is put to the test, and you begin to move from the emotional thinking and the reward-based system of thinking to the, remember, the prefrontal cortex thinking that is the logical, rational, reasonable sense. You haven't fully worked that out, but you begin to realize, oh my goodness, my decisions have consequences. It matters what I choose to do. It matters how I invest my time. It matters what I do with my life. And so the 20s represent that period of time where you begin to leverage the worldview and and the things that you've learned and developed in your 20s. And you begin to leverage that. And I would say the leveraging of that goes from your 30s into your 40s and into your 50s. But it really begins in your 30s. People stop um, making excuses for you when you blow it. And they begin to say things like, come on now, let's go. Time to get after. Time to get busy. Time to get going with life. That's what happens in your 30s. And so remember, the 20s don't define you. They're preparing you for something. They're preparing you for this season into your 30s where you can begin. And if you're writing things down, the 30s are the years that you begin. Here it comes on the screen. That you begin to accomplish things. The 30s are about accomplishing. They're about accomplishing. You've gone through much of the preparation, even though there's more to come. Now it's about accomplishing. Uh, If you study online, you'll, you'll see that there are like five... Uh, milestones to adulthood. Um, milestone number one is finishing school. Then there's leaving home. Then becoming financially independent. Then getting married and then having kids. Those are the five milestones of adulthood. And, and, and years and years ago, a couple of generations ago, um, <clears throat> at least one generation ago, in the 60s, like 70, 60, 70% of men and women accomplished this by the time they were in their early 30s or when they're even when they were 30. I mean, they, they accomplished these milestones and entered into that adulthood. Millennials and extras, we're a little slow. Um, only like 33% of men in the year 2000 accomplished all five milestones by the age of 30. They, they were lagging behind. That's why, that's why emerging adolescence became a real uh, phenomenon in our, in our society today. So 30s are a little slower than they used to be. People had a whole lot together in their 20s. Now it's early 30s. But the 30s are an interesting time, aren't they? Um, For the most part, you have a job. You have to manage finances. You have hobbies that you want to invest in. You have your own personal life that you need to deal with and work through. Then you have a spouse and you have kids and friends and the world. And all of these things pull for your attention and pull for your time. When I was growing up, here's what I I understood to be true about Scripture. That God had made a priority list for me to follow, and I needed to follow it rigidly, or I would I would mess this thing up called, you know, called accomplishing what I needed to accomplish in my in my thirties. And this is basically the, the priority list that, that I was taught would help me succeed in life. And it was God first, then spouse, then kids, then family, then career, then hobby, and then you just kind of list things out underneath that. That's basically the order of priorities that you better get your life in if you're going to live out your life in your 30s to manage all that you have on your plate. I don't know about you, but this was impossible for me. Like, i got to put God first, but God, you gave me kids. And that's hard. Because you're really nice and you're, you invite me into your presence. They demand my presence. It's usually the ones who demand my presence that get my presence. And everyone else has to wait. And you're telling me I have to put my spouse before my kids. And, and that seems impossible as well because... 
because they're kids. And then I got to find time for a career as well. And my goodness, in my 30s, I'm trying to climb a ladder. I'm trying to achieve something. And I'm trying to get somewhere and make a name for myself and go somewhere. I I mean, it takes some extra time. And my boss is asking for a whole lot more from me. And I hate it that my wife or my husband is, 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 is struggling through that. But you don't understand how difficult it is to try to manage this. And then somewhere along the line, I got to work out and stay in shape because my body doesn't work out like it used to. And I got to go play golf. And who has time for golf? When you have kids. <laughs> it, it seemed impossible. I, 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 I really struggled with this. And, and then I began to realize, I wonder if this is the biblical model. I know it's the model that's been shared most of my life, but I'm not sure it's the biblical model. Here's why I say that. I cannot find this model in Scripture. I can piece it together somewhat, but there's not a single verse or a section of Scripture or any kind of cohesive connection that this is the exact order things should transpire or will be prioritized in my life. It's not there. I actually want to present to you today a different paradigm that I think is actually more biblical. And I want to take you to Scripture to show you that that, that I believe it, it actually is biblical, the biblical model. I want to show you a different picture. Instead of a priority list, I want you to think about this idea for a moment. I think what Scripture presents to us is that none of these things are more or less important. They are all important in the life of an individual. But the only way we're going to balance this is that if we have a Jesus-centered life. It is that when Jesus is at the center of my life, that then I can begin to order the rest of the things in the seasons and in the times in which they need priority attention. The truth is there are days in which your kids need your undivided attention and you put your relationship with your spouse on hold for a moment so that you can correct some things that are off in the life of your child. And there are days that you leave your children with, your grand, with their grandparents so that you and your wife or husband can get away to invest in time with one another, right? It's okay and it's not as though these things are, are, are less important. It's just managing all of this. But this is the critical part. When Jesus is the centerpiece... He directs the ebb and flow of my life in any given day. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can instruct us, prompt us, and lead us to be able to manage all of these things that we're trying to manage, to accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish. If you're a 30-something, you can relate to this statement. I often feel empty. I feel like all I do is give, and it's draining to give and to give and to give. The critical part of this dynamic is that Scripture teaches us that even though outwardly we waste away, (laughs) inwardly we can be renewed day by day. And if you do not have the renewal that comes from the abiding relationship with Jesus, you will try to give out of an empty person, an empty soul, and an empty being. And hear me, you cannot give what you do not have. It comes out of a relationship with Jesus. And this is the most difficult relationship to prioritize, bar none. But if you neglect it, It will be to your own loss in every other area of your life. Now, is this biblical? It absolutely is the biblical picture. I'm going to show you that. I'm not going to take you to this passage of Scripture. You can read it on your own, but Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is a great passage of Scripture to go to. Read it. It talks about how our life is hidden in Christ with God. And in that passage of Scripture, Paul teaches us that Christ 
is our life. It's not as though Christ just gives us life, but he is the very essence of our life. Now, Peter is going to parallel that very thought in in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to look there with me, or you can look on the screen. Notice what Peter says to us in 2 Peter about this very dynamic of Jesus being the center and everything else being nourished through that. Verse number 3. His divine power has given us... All right, so let's go back in time. Ready? A long time ago, we used to repeat the words out loud. And so let's just try this. You ready? So his divine power has given us... All right, and, and so that was awkward enough, but usually they made us do it twice. So let's do it again. Ready? Oh, that's good. Doesn't that feel good? Everything we need for... That's right. Stop. His divine power that is what's available to me in a relationship with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. When I abide in Him, I bear fruit. When I am connected to Jesus, I can accomplish all that I have on my plate to accomplish. He has given me everything I need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That is, that, that, that God called us out of His own glory and out of His own goodness into this divine nature, to, to, to participate, which we'll see in a moment, in the divine nature so that we could do life in our 30s and beyond. Notice verse 4. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises. Stop for a moment. Don't read on. I know you want to because there's, there's, there's yellow there. Don't read on. Very great and precious promises. What are the promises? Look through Scripture and see what God has promised us, that we should not worry about what we'll eat or what we'll wear or what... These things God knows that we need, but if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things will be added to us. Do you see what happens? When Jesus becomes the priority, all of these things are added to us. When we, lose, when we leave him out of the center, all of this becomes chaotic. So that through them, those promises given to us by the word, the Bible, you may participate in the divine nature. This is your life. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you see the point? You can run yourself ragged or you can live out of the overflow of the relationship with Jesus. Now, if I could give you one critical key to accomplishing this. As a matter of fact, Peter gives it to us. It's not even for me. Peter gives us this. Peter says... That it's the divine nature I participate in. And as I participate in that divine nature, if you're writing things down, write this down. The key to accomplishing, which is what 30s are all about, is growth. If I'm going to be able to manage all that God has entrusted to me and succeed and thrive and not just survive, if I'm going to manage that, if I'm going to succeed in these areas, then I'm going to participate in His divine nature. And as I participate in that divine nature, I'm going to grow up. Remember, that's what the 30s have to be. No one says to a 30 or 35-year-old or a 38-year-old, oh, you got plenty of time to grow up. No one says that. They're like, let's go. All right, now. Watch what Peter says. Peter says, in verse number five, for this very reason, make every effort, I'm not going to make you repeat it, add, add to your faith. That is, faith is the beginning of the relationship with God. Add to faith, goodness, 30s. The 20s are not so much filled with goodness. 
They're filled with dumbness and stupidness, which we've called sin before. But Peter says, come on, if you want to live out everything God has for you, come on, goodness has to be a part of that. It's called spiritual maturity. It's called sanctification. It's goodness. It's becoming different in my character and and to goodness knowledge oh 30s if i could just tell you something if you're ever going to fulfill all that god has for you you are going to have to get into his word you're going to have to read you're going to have to get mentors you're going to have to get counsel and advice you don't know it all you can't do it all by yourself you need to surround yourself with information not information overload the right kind of information that leads to greater levels of effectiveness if you want to lead you better be reading some leadership books if you need to know how to do a marriage better read some marriage stuff get into god's word and study marriage if you need to learn how to do your job better you better find the resources man that's critically important in these years that's why i evaluated myself i wanted to know how bad i was so that i wouldn't be bad anymore knowledge is critical godly wisdom and information is critical in these years of development goes on to say in verse number six and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance (laughs) now i think god has a great sense of humor Because self-control and perseverance are accomplished through kids. Like, you don't have to pray for these things. And you don't have to wonder if you're going to be stretched in these areas. You have kids. These are the two things you're going to struggle with the most. Now listen, I'm not in any way making fun of anyone who abuses a child in any way form or fashion it's not funny and it's not laughable anyway but hear me i can appreciate why someone who does not have self-control commits some kind of sin like that in a criminal offense when they have kids because kids will test every limit you have they will put to the test your self-control like nothing else on earth will put you to that test and they will test the boundaries of your patience they are going to disobey. That's not a newsflash. You already know it. They are sometimes not going to care what you say. They will look you in the eyes and blatantly disrespect you. And you've got to come to terms with that at some point. Someone once said that, that, uh, that, that the reward of being a grandparent is that you didn't kill your children when they were growing up. I see that. I get that. But these are criticals. If you live a, 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 an out-of-control life into your 30s, you will struggle greatly to accomplish what God has for you. And you've got to be patient in that process as well. And a patience, godliness, the divine, uh, the divine uh, nature that we're participating in produces a divine character by which we can impact and influence. He goes on to say in verse number 7, into godliness, brotherly kindness, into brotherly kindness, the ultimate expression of the, of the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is love. Now, now, let me conclude. Thirties. I don't know if there's ever a verse in Scripture more fitting to you than what Peter is about to tell you in verse number 8. Look at the verse. For if you possess these things, these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective, one of the worst words to a 30-something who is driven, who feels like they are not accomplishing anything and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. You see that? When Jesus is the sinner and every other relationship flows out of that, 
when I commit myself first to Christ and everything else flows out of that, and I add to my faith the beginning of relationship, all of these qualities, I will be effective and productive through these critical years. You can accomplish everything God has for you as you participate in his divine nature. Now, let me ask you a question. (laughs) The uncomfortable question. Is Jesus the center of your life? It's the last time. It's the last time you got out your Bible. And you spent like 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes just you and Jesus. Is the church a priority for you right now? Because I know it's hard to make it a priority because your kids have 700 other things to do. Is Jesus the center? And are you living in the overflow of his divine nature? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.